her years of experience and dedication to guide you through the world of estate planning, probate, wills, and more. Now here's your host, Kathy Rue. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to my radio show, It's the Law, and thank you for joining me this afternoon. I have with me this afternoon the outstanding Kevin Ebling. Hey, Kathy, how are you? Hey, doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. And I've also got the wonderful Zach Lewis. He's going to help me do this show as well. Hey, what's going on? Oh, it's the law is what's going on. (laughs) Zach's been thinking about it all weekend. It's true. Complaining his questions. I've had lots of questions. (laughs) Great, great. Uh, When we left off from the last show, we were talking about the four core documents of estate planning. And we identified those documents as will, statutory durable power of attorney, medical power of attorney, and directive to physicians, also known as a living will. So for this show, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about what other ancillary documents are available to you, what your estate consists of, how the law divides it up, and a little bit about trust as well. So to have a seat, get a drink, and Join us for this informative radio session. What kind of drink? Should I crack a beer or <laughs> should we just stick with water and coffee for this time? Whatever your poison <laughs> is. <laughs> it is afternoon. That's, I mean, yeah. It's, it's afternoon, so you can cruise into the evening with a drink mm. of your choice. So you've got these four court documents necessary. The will, the statutory power of attorney, medical power of attorney, and physician's directive. Yes. Now, these are the four core documents. Yes. These are the four documents everyone should have in place. Right. Everyone should have these documents in place. But there's other documents that um, estate planning attorneys use and that I use as part of my estate planning package that you should also consider. For example, you definitely need a HIPAA authorization. The HIPAA authorization is the document that allows your medical provider to release your medical information, which is protected by federal law, um, to release it to the agent that you designate. And that's important because if you have appointed an agent under a medical power of attorney, you want a HIPAA authorization in place so that your doctor can communicate your medical information to the agent so that the agent can make medical decisions for you if they have to. Otherwise, your doctor is prohibited from releasing your medical information um, by federal law. So you definitely want to have a HIPAA authorization in place. You also want to have a declaration of guardian for yourself, uh, as well as your minor children, if you have any. Uh, There's also a mental health power of attorney where you can designate an agent to make decisions for you on your behalf if you're suffering with a mental health illness. Uh, A couple other documents is a disposition of remains where you indicate in writing how you want your remains disposed of upon your death. Do you want to be cremated? Would you like your organs donated to a specific agency? Do you want a traditional burial? And Zach and I talked a little bit about that and and Kevin did too uh, at the last radio show. We talked about organ donor. We we mentioned Kevin's liver briefly. Yeah, nobody right. wants that. <laughs> Which nobody you can take everything wants. Else, but <laughs> throw that out. <clears throat> so we're, we're going to get rid of his liver for sure on his disposition of remains. Um, another uh, document is an agent to control disposition of remains. And of course, that's exactly what it says. You appoint someone, a relative, family member, close friend, someone who you trust to carry out your wishes under the disposition of remains. And then the last document is instructions for preparing your beneficiary designations. And that document's really important because when you're doing your estate planning, um, your estate consists of two components. It's your probate estate and your non, um, excuse me, your probate assets and your non-probate assets. And so you want the distribution of those assets coordinated. And the best way to do that is to make sure your beneficiary designations have been reviewed and they align with your will and the agents you've appointed under your ancillary documents. So well, there's definitely a lot to dive in, into here. Lots. Yeah. So, lots and lots. Uh, I, I would ask the obvious question, why aren't all of these documents as important as everything else? But I'd rather dive into each one, I think, individually and kind of talk about them one by one and break it down. Sure. So first things first, the HIPAA authorization, it sounds kind of similar to the medical power of attorney. It's, it sounded similar to me at first, are they, they, but they are different. They are very different. The medical power of attorney is you designating an agent to act 
if you cannot act. Right. Okay. And HIPAA doesn't designate anyone to act on your behalf. The only thing the HIPAA authorization does is it allows your medical provider to release your medical information to whoever you've designated as your agent or to a relative. It doesn't have to be an agent. It could be your spouse. It could be your daughter. It could be a sister. It could be a a very close friend that you trust. The importance of the HIPAA authorization is that you are giving your medical provider your written permission under the law to release your medical information. If you don't give them that permission, they can't release your medical information to anyone. And I'm sure everyone has experienced this HIPAA authorization at some point or another, because when you go to a new doctor, they make you fill out their intake forms, and the HIPAA authorization is part of that. And they even make you periodically renew your information. They'll make you update your medical records. And part of updating your medical records is executing a HIPAA authorization. And the HIPAA restrictions come from federal law called the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. And so that's where the acronym HIPAA comes from. And it was enacted to limit disclosure of your health information. So that's why it's so important to have that document in place. And most medical providers, if not all of them, will ask that you execute this document. Even if your attorney doesn't, or even if it's not part of your estate planning, most medical providers will have you execute that document. Well, I hate to put you on the spot here, but um, I'm, I'm trying to come up with uh, like situations in which that would be vitally important. I understand the four four main documents, the four court documents necessary. Normally, those obviously are of the utmost importance. These these that you're listing here are are a little bit more secondary, but not as like unimportant. Critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, if you but have not, to rank them, you certainly can do it that way. Right. You want to get those four documents in place first. If you have a choice, if you have budgetary limitations, your focus should be on those four core documents. And then at a later point, you can get these other remaining documents. But they are important, and they do have a significant place in your estate planning. Do you have any examples of any uh, any cases you've worked, any specific times in which a HIPAA authorization would have been like a really important core thing for a case to like, you know, really, really open things up, make things easier, make transitions, you know, smoother as it were, because I, I'm just, I'm struggling to come up with like a situation off the top of my head in which it would be so important. I don't have any cases personally that I've been involved in, mm-hmm. but Again, it's important to have this in place because if you're married, for example, and you don't have a HIPAA authorization in place, your doctor can't not release your medical information to your spouse. And for example, in my case, when my son turned 18, at that point he became an adult, and I encouraged him very strongly to get this document in place because before, as a child, I was his parental guardian and I had access to all of his medical information. Once he turned 18, I no longer had access to that information. So if something happened to him and he was unable to make decisions for himself, he needed someone in place who could share his medical information yeah. who, so that they could make a medical decision right. on his g- behalf. You don't want to go in blind, of course. No, that makes sense. So that's part of the importance of it. But unfortunately, I don't have a case. But I'll try to find a case, a good case, no. that involves no, HIPAA. Yeah, and no we can worries. talk about that next radio show. That's in, a good point. In, when you mention your son transitioning from the age of 18, of course, that's 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 taking, I guess, provide, somebody become becoming their own guardian at the age of 18. You're, you're now responsible for yourself. Your parents aren't, don't cover you. Well, yes. He reached the age of majority before he was a minor. Mm-hmm. And as his parent, I was in charge of him, both legally, financially, in every respect. Once he turned 18, he became uh, an adult. Right. And so I no longer had access to his financial information, his medical information, none of his information as an adult. Now, Without these documents, of course. Right. Now, what if he was to sign a declaration of guardian? And, and make you the, the, the guardian. And he did. Right. And he did. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, he say, it sounds so, like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So the thing about that is um, <clears throat> he, you should do that as well. And you need to have these documents in place for that um Example, and I'm using my son as my example, but you know, like I said, he was involved in the, what I would consider you know, some risky um, activities. You know, skateboarding, sure. uh, longboarding, that type of stuff. Kids being kids, kids yeah. being kids, uh, young adults being you know, 
living free, living their life free. Yeah. Nothing w- they're indestructible. Yeah, Nothing think, will ever happen to them. They're going to live forever. So um, <clears throat> declaration of guardian is important because if he were longboarding, not wearing a helmet, sustained a closed head injury, he would need someone in to take care of him. A declaration of guardian helps very much because it expresses his particular wishes. It's his say as to who he wants to take care of him if he's incapacitated and he can't take care of himself. The wonderful thing about putting your declaration of guardian in writing is that you can also say who you don't want to take care of you really yes and that's really nice because you know sometimes there's dysfunction in families not everybody gets along yeah of course Um, so it's really important that not only you express who you want to take care of you but you also express who you don't want to take care of you and that's that's an interesting clause but no i absolutely can understand why that would be necessary sometimes i can happen yeah sure (laughs) families can be sticky sometimes they can they can and especially in guardianship there's there a lot of issues Issues that have existed in families for quite some time rise to the surface and you know have to be resolved and so that's a, that's just another reason to have these documents in place because if you're ever presented with a situation of having to have a guardian you know the person's wishes because generally if the person's incapacitated they're not going to be able to express their wishes right even if they do because they're incapacitated because of a mental or physical illness it's difficult to rely on what they're saying because you are not sure that their cognitive abilities are working as well as they should work. Mm-hmm. And so you're always wondering, is this what this person really wants? Is this what this person really means because of the level of incapacity that exists? So if they have this document completed while they had the capacity to do so, that gives the decision maker or the advocate some reassurance that this is the person's wishes as to who they want to serve as the guardian. Now, how many people, and I would imagine you'd want to keep this number small anyway, but is there any limit to how many people you can assign as a guardian? Well, I like I, I, again, I would think it'd probably only be one or two. I mean, nobody would any ever need any more, but I'm just curious. There's there's no limit. The law does not limit how many people you can express or you can list in mm-hmm. your declaration of guardian. Most people will list one or two persons and then perhaps a third successor. Uh, in the drafting that I've done, that's the most that I've seen is three people listed. Right. So... Um, that usually covers it. If you list a guardian of your person who you want to take care of your person, d- make decisions about where you live, what medications you take, um, what you eat, your diet, who you socialize with, those are going to be your Uh, decisions for guardian of the person and then for guardian of the estate you're going to have decisions about your financial situation what type of um, medical benefits you're going to receive Medicaid Medicare Social Security making sure you're eligible for that taking care of all of that your bank accounts any life insurance policies burial policies annuities those type of things all fall under your um, financial decision making Perfect. All right. So, well, thanks for the info. And sometimes you can have, you know, you can designate the same person as a guardian of the person and guardian of the estate. They can yeah. serve in both capacities. It doesn't have to be two separate persons, but it can certainly be two separate people. Um, and you want to, again, choose someone who has some uh, strengths in both of those capacities. Absolutely. So yeah, that's you want to make sure everybody's got everything, uh, you know, where they need to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you've got the mental health power of attorney, and that's another document where you're setting up an agent to make decisions for you if you are suffering from a mental health illness. Right. So that's important, too, and that's a document that's not seen very often, but it is part of an estate planning package. And you can use that to expand your estate planning package. We're about to go to break. I hope you stay with us. We've got some great information coming up. It's The Law with Kathy Rue. Providing you her will and testament for good radio. You're tuned in to It's The Law with Kathy Rue on RNCN. (laughs) 
Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group, a family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients' and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national-type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. Numerous times they've already made an agreement and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end. And they may not always be the best in your area or for your situation. Being a boutique, we are independent. We have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you. It's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents. You can reach us at 214-750-7557. And you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com. What if you got rewarded for every good decision? What if your heart had a special way of letting you know it appreciates your healthy choices? I've got to get my family to eat more vegetables. Amazing! And instead of cooking with butter tonight, I think I'll saute our veggies with a heart-healthy oil. You're a genius! So really, would your food choices pay off in heart health? Did you know that when you replace bad fats with healthier fats, like those in canola or other vegetable oils, it can lower bad cholesterol levels, and that's good for your heart. Here's a winning idea. Take up the challenge for good health, because the you of the future will say, Fantastic! Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info proudly supports the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Hi, this is Nate Dodson of the Dodson Legal Group. We are a team of attorneys out to ensure that all clients are put in the best position possible. We found that attorneys in the market fail at providing ongoing information and updates to their clients, and we work diligently to be the better option in keeping our clients informed as their cases move forward. For a free consult, please call us at 469-317-3330. That's 469-317-3330. Who says green can't be clean? Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safe around pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you want to clean your home in half the time, visit speedcleaning.com and sign up for our speed cleaning tip of the week. Got a few bills in your pocket, and you hit a happy hour with your friends. Hey, man, grab a beer. Now, fast forward. Uh-oh. You just got a DWI, mano. Time in jail. Up to $17,000 in fees and fines. Want to keep good times from going all bad? Happy hour tonight. Can I call you when I'm done to get a ride home? Line up a sober driver before you go out. Because if you get a DWI, there's no going back. Drink, drive, go to jail. A message from TxDOT. Save a life. You're tuned in to It's the Law with Kathy Rue on RNCN. Hey, we're back with It's the Law with Kathy Rue. Thank you for staying with us. If you've just tuned in, thank you for joining us. I'm here with Kevin Ebling and Zach Lewis. Hey, Kathy. Hey. We've got this show going and full steam ahead. We were talking about um, other ancillary documents that you should have as part of your estate planning. And we left off talking about uh, HIPAA authorization, mental health, power of attorney, and declaration of guardian. And we wanted to talk a little bit about disposition of remains and also appointing an agent to control disposition of remains. And, and be- Zach, I think you had a yeah, question. Yeah, b- before we jump back into that, I had a couple, a couple, like one more question about declaration of guardian. Sure. Uh, you said there's no limit to how many guardians somebody can you know, assign for themselves. Normally one, two, maybe three is all you'd want. But last week you mentioned something about kind of level, well, not, not necessarily levels, but uh, I, I don't know, like tiers of guardians. Say if you assigned two and one something were to happen to one, now would everything just shift to the other guardian or would there be some kind of uh, complication in documents there? Well, in terms of guardianship, that's a legal proceeding. So that's never going to occur out of court. 
it's always going to be something, a petition, an application that's filed with the probate court to have a guardian appointed. And that's where this document is used. It's filed in the legal proceeding so that the court knows what this person's desire is in terms of who they want to serve as their guardian, whether it's of the person or of the estate. So if the first person that's named is not available for whatever reason to serve, mm-hmm. then the court will appoint what's called a successor guardian, or if it's if it's part of the initial application and the person whose first name is not available to serve, the court can just look to that second person and see if that second person is available. But if the first person has already been appointed as the guardian, then an an application for a successor guardian needs to be appointed to have the second person, right? the second named person appointed, and the first named person removed as the guardian. Uh, In the same way that you said that you can assign as many uh, guardians as you want, uh, with the Declaration of Guardians, you also said that you can say who can't take care of you, who cannot yes. be a guardian. And I would imagine there's probably no limit on that as well. You can say, oh, yeah, this whole half, like my mom's side, no way. Don't, yeah, don't let her touch my stuff. <laughs> yes, there's no limit. There's no name limit. Right, you can yeah. list as many people as you want. But normally, um, actually, I don't see that clause in the document used very often. Uh, on occasion, I have seen it used. And someone has listed a sibling, perhaps, or um, an estranged sibling and estranged child that they don't want to take care of them should Mm -hmm. they become incapacitated because when you become incapacitated you're in a situation where you're no longer able to provide food shelter housing you're no longer able to manage your finances so you truly are incapacitated and you literally need someone to care for you so um, I have seen situations where there's been some dysfunction in the family that has um, separated you know people and distanced the relationship between people and in those cases someone will use that particular clause and say if i'm incapacitated i don't want so and so to take care of me or be appointed as my guardian now i would assume with most of these documents with the declaration of guardians sometimes even frustratingly so it may not come out the way that some family members would like maybe you have a sister and she's upset that the mom is appointed as guardian but these documents are they're binding in that way like when you sign them and you send them off like that's it whoever you said is going to be that person unless you change it that's how it's going to play out no matter what right yes it once they're executed they have the force of law behind them they're a valid legal document and most courts and most attorneys and most third parties will recognize them as that a valid legal document And so you can revoke them, you can uh, change them, you can change the names of your agents. It's not written in stone, but as long as it does exist, it is a valid legal document and it's binding. Now, a lot of these documents, they tend to look, it's based on the title, I know I don't know a whole lot about them, but I'd like to think to the layman like myself, looking at what they're called, they sound like they're similar things. They sound like they do the same thing sometimes. So what's the difference between the Declaration of Guardian and the Mental Health Power of Attorney? Well, the declaration of guardian is if, again, if you're incapacitated, you're unable to take care of yourself, you're unable to make decisions about food, shelter, clothing, medical decisions, financial decisions. Right. So you are truly incapacitated. I mean, you truly can't You you don't have the ability to communicate Exactly. Of course. Exactly. Excuse me. Or you don't have the cognitive skills. Excuse me. A mental health power of attorney is different because that only applies if you have a mental health illness. Okay. And in that case, you're also making decisions about how you want your medical provider to treat you. In other words, do you want psychoactive medication to be administered to you? You can say yes, no, or you can restrict the type of medication you want to receive. You can indicate Uh, what your choices are for emergency mental health treatment. For example, do you want to be secluded? Do you want to be restrained? Or do you want to receive medication should you need emergency medical treatment? Right. And you can also indicate whether or not you want a female or a male attendant. Can you really? Yes. You know, that's not one of those things I would think you could, you would have the ability to really decide on. I don't on, think you get to pick and choose. Well, it sounds, like, it sounds like you do. Yeah, you get In to pick and choose. In this particular case, you can. This particular form does allow for you to pick and choose and make these decisions. And that's, to me, 
that's why it's so important to at least review the form and consider it and contemplate whether or not you want to have this document as part of your estate plan. Because oftentimes, particularly as we age, we develop mental illnesses, whether it's short term or long term, people develop um, depression. You've heard of postpartum depression in the news. Of course. People develop bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. So mental health issues are a very real and important part of our society. And when people develop these illnesses, it's um, it's life-changing, and sometimes it requires emergency treatment. Sometimes it doesn't. But in the case that it does, you want to have this document in place that expresses expresses your wishes should you find yourself in that situation right so the disposition of remains this one sounds like a big deal i know kevin is interested in this one mm-hmm. what exactly i was talking about this with my parents last night right what were you really yeah a good dinner conversation definitely dinner conversation. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> sunday night what happens if i die yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> so i wanted to i guess inquire <laughs> the disposition of remains is this just specifically where your remains should be placed or in what form your remains exist or is this everything? Is this right. everything? Well, it's, it's definitely both of those two points that you just made, where right. your remains are to be placed and if it's all of them. I mean, those, that's the type of issues, that's the type of information you're going to put into this document. Someone, you're gone, you're not here any longer. Right. So someone has to make decisions concerning your burial. And that's what this document is for. Do you want a traditional funeral with funeral arrangements? And do you want to have some type of ceremony? Do you want to have um, you know, a Christian burial where you have a church service? Right. Do you want to be buried in the ground? Would you prefer to be buried in some type of a mausoleum? Um, do you want to be cremated? Do you want organ donation? Do you want your life, uh, your remains donated for science, the study of science? There's all types of different options. And so this is, again, where you get to say, while you can, how do you want your remains disposed of? And with the other companion document appointing the agent, who is going to be in charge of this and who's going to carry it out? And you can also leave... You can earmark or leave a sum of money to facilitate this being carried out. Sure. So these documents are, you know, they're good documents to sit down and think about and have and help you plan out your estate and your demise. And you said you can leave a certain amount of money maybe to, to plan these things or to, to be able to pay the cup for them in a way yourself. Who would that money be left with? Or do you, do you clarify that in the document? You, you can leave it as part of your will. A bequest in your will, you can leave it in the document to, you know, have the money come from your estate or from, you know, a particular heir. You can earmark it by putting the money in a uh, bank account. Sure. And having the money earmarked in a bank account and put a a beneficiary designation could be the agent that you list to dispose of your remains so there's a few different ways you can handle that but that's just you know if you want that option you can have it you don't have to leave money to the agent but you can depending upon how elaborate and how expensive you want the disposition of your remains to be right now i've heard of some people that have i would say some eccentric kind of burial practices i I suppose this is the kind of place that something like that would be outlined for example, myself, I always saw myself uh, kind of a kind of a burial or a send off off the coast of uh, Ireland on a foggy morning, where somebody pushes me off in a boat, and then uh, a well, line that's of great, archers. Zach. I want to be shut into outer space. Our line of archers <laughs> with flaming arrows shoot it off and like light the boat off from the coast. Like I always thought that would be a good way to go. Thank you for making a mockery of my wishes, Kevin. We'll see where you think, land in the power of attorney. And yeah. I think in both of those cases, you definitely want to consider earmarking some money and leaving some money right. for your yes. agent. Um, the the law that authorizes this particular document allows for reasonable costs, which are things costs that you would incur in cremation or burial. But for example, someone who would pass away here in the Metroplex, the DFW Metroplex, but want to be buried in another city or another state and would have to have their remains transported. What I've learned is that that can be quite expensive to transport a body. And so that's something that would you might want to leave funds for yeah 
So, you know, that's an option. And that's just a traditional option. Right. So we are, again, going to break. But we will be back talking more about estate planning on It's the Law with Kathy Rue. It's the Law with Kathy Rue continues next on RNCN. started smoking when I was 13. I always thought when the time came, I could quit. No problem. Then at 28, I tried to go cold turkey and I found out how hard it really was. I made it all day without a smoke. (laughs) Right until I met up with the guys. But I learned something that night. In fact, every time I tried to quit, there were more than a few, I learned a little more about what worked and what didn't work for me. And when I realized that I wasn't alone, that most people don't quit on their first or second attempt, I knew there was still hope. Today, I'm an ex-smoker. My only advice is to never, ever give up trying to quit. If you're trying to quit smoking, the American Lung Association is here to help every step of the way. Visit quitterinyou.org for tools, tips, and stories from smokers we've helped to finally quit for good. The American Lung Association. We support the quitter in you at quitterinyou.org. Hi, this is Andrew Sabo, Vice President of Symphion. I'm responsible for the marketing for Symphion's Information as a Service. We have a particular focus on hospitals and healthcare organizations because they are particularly vulnerable to cyber security risks. The average patient record is worth $363 on the black market. Symphion's Information as a Service gathers intelligence on your print fleet or your Windows-based devices in such a way they can identify and audit the security settings of each device. We're able to deliver that information in a concierge style to the appropriate parties so they can take their cybersecurity plan to a whole nother level. For more information, give us a call today at 214-522-4000 or visit us on the web at Symphion.com. That's S-Y-M-P-H-I-O-N.com. Symphion, the unparalleled value of innovation in action. Got a few bills in your pocket and you hit a happy hour with your friends. Hey man, grab a beer. Now fast forward. Uh-oh. You just got a DWI mano. Time in jail. Up to $17,000 in fees and fines. Wanna keep good times from going all bad? Happy hour tonight. Can I call you when I'm done to get a ride home? Line up a sober driver before you go out. Cause if you get a DWI, there's no going back. Drink, drive, go to jail. A message from TechStot. Save a life. My name is Ernesto Miranda with Walker Miranda Design Studio, Principal. We are a commercial and high-end residential interior design firm with architectural capabilities. We do anything from restaurants, multifamily, commercial office, and retail. A lot of design firms tend to have a signature look. We don't. We really take our clients' brands seriously. It's really important for us for our clients to have that signature look. That's what we create for them. For more information and a free consultation, visit us at walkermiranda.com. You can also reach us at 214-680-7202. In recent months, some have lost faith and trust in those who protect us. Frustration has blurred our vision, but we've faced challenges before. Operation Blue Shield is a new movement to help communities have productive conversations directly with law enforcement and first responders to listen and heal. I'm all in. I'm all in. We're We're all in. in. Stand united with us at OperationBlueShield.com. This time, it's for all of us. You're listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio. listening to It's the Law with Kathy Rue on RNCN. Welcome back, everyone. It's It's the Law with Kathy Rue. I'm in the studio with Kevin Evelyn and Zach Lewis, and we're talking about disposition of remains, and we've got a couple other documents and topics we want to talk about before we end today's radio show. Right. Zach. We just touched on disposition of remains. Now, the next thing down is the agent to control disposition of remains. You know what, Zach? Maybe I wasn't done yet with disposition of remains. Are you not done? I I had some questions. Well, go ahead. You have the floor. Especially this was the topic of Sunday dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Don't let me steal this away from you. We were talking about this last night because a lot of times people's last wishes, there are religious specifications that they would prefer. And what we were talking about is there are are new developments in this kind of thing where 
um, say with the Catholic Church because I was raised Catholic. Um, maybe in the last ten years, I believe, is they've started to allow cremation where before. Uh, you were required to have a funeral mass. A traditional burial. I remember that. You had to have a traditional burial where the body was embalmed and you had to have a church service. Really? Yeah, but they have changed it. So it, when they change it, if somebody, you know, if that happens during, somebody passes during a time like that where they maybe they wanted to be cremated but they weren't able to do it at that time, is there any way to adjust it? Or I mean, I'm just wondering how that are, factors in when something changes like that. Are you asking if they'll exhume a body and cremate it after the fact? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying if someone... They didn't have a chance to amend their will and testament, oh, that kind I of thing, see. and then but they pass, and it's like, well, right. he wanted to be cremated, but he was going to have a traditional Catholic funeral because that's what they mandated. But now that you're allowed to do this, I just wonder if when they change these rules, if it how it factors into the the legal right. documents, or is, it, or is it too late? Like, well, you sign, I mean, right? I mean, signed, I would think yeah. this has to impact Kathy as an attorney when those kind of things happen. Yeah, I think you know, I think the important thing here is to. Stay abreast of what the law says and what it allows. And again, that's going to occur when you're consulting with an attorney about your estate planning and having this conversation about how you want your remains disposed of. And I don't think it's too late. If you have put in your will that you wanted a traditional burial because of your religious beliefs, but you're now aware that the church will allow you to have cremation and that that was your original choice, you certainly can execute this document, this disposition of remains form, and you can indicate that you want to have cremation done, and then you can indicate who you want to make sure that that happens to your remains upon your passing. So I think, again, and, you know, that's why it's critical, even if you just do a consultation to meet with an attorney, it doesn't have to be me, of course, I'm happy to meet with you and consult with you on this, but meet with an attorney of your choice that you feel comfortable with and have these conversations about these particular issues, especially as it pertains to your religious beliefs, to your personal beliefs, your personal life philosophies, um, your family dynamics, all of that is critical information that needs to be taken into consideration okay that answered my question perfectly but you bring you you bring up an interesting (laughs) angle though can you have some kind of uh i guess like an almost like an if then clause in in these in these planning for example that's kind of i was wondering yeah yeah. if if uh my church suddenly allows cremation then can my first document be overridden so i can be cremated something like that theoretically i think you could put that language in the document uh it's not the best type Oh no! Yeah, you, you don't want to make done. it right. I mean, <laughs> it is a little confusing. <laughs> I think the the ideal situation under that fact pattern would be to do the research and find out what the law allows, both in the church uh, that you belong to and in you know layman's terms in in just the law itself of for the state of Texas and see if there are any differences that need to be reconciled. Um, so you're, you're going to, I think the best thing is to examine those three areas, the client's wishes, uh, whatever their religious beliefs are, and then whatever the law says, and figure out a way to reconcile those wishes in the document so that the document's clear uh, and there isn't any if, then, or should this happen, or maybe we could do it this way, because you're gone and you're leaving your agent sort of with... Um, <clears throat> Not very clear instructions, in my humble opinion. <laughs> right. See, situations like that is why you'd like to consult an attorney. Like exactly. Some confusion in gray area. That's <laughs> exactly. what you don't want. Yeah. You don't want the confusion. You don't want the gray area because the document is, it, the document arises from Texas statute and it is enforceable. It's enforceable under the law. So you want it to be very, very clear and not to have any gray areas or any if-thens or buts or... Anything that could give rise to litigation is what you are hoping to avoid. You want to avoid all litigation in this yes. case. Yeah, right. you want <laughs> to that's avoid why you litigation. do the Stay out of the courtroom. <laughs> of course. So if you can, if you can, I mean, that's the ideal situation to have this done and have it done peaceably and not to have family members fighting over anything that occurs. That's the ideal situation. In a perfect world, that's how everyone would like their demise to end and so that's what you aim for at the same time of course accomplishing your client's goals whatever those goals are zach in your case 
you know, the the ship off the <laughs> off the cliff. A the little elaborate. Traditional place. Viking burial. Yes, right. we're going into space. You know, something interstellar. The is new what frontier <laughs> with uh, Spock and yes, sure. Captain exactly. Kirk Gene and everything. Yes, the USS <laughs> Enterprise. So here we go. So when you're you, speaking of family, when you're filling out the agent and control disposition of remains, I would imagine, based on the title, that that would simply be you're assigning one individual or a multiple, if you're interested, to carry out your, uh, your 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 disposition of remains generally you want to appoint one person to do it and you can also appoint a successor again you know if that one person is not available for whatever reason uh, location you know perhaps they've moved perhaps they are ill perhaps they just were never informed that they were going to be impo- appointed the agent and now they find out and they're like I don't really want this responsibility right. so then you can put a successor in place so that's generally the way you want it to work just to have one person because if you start appointing co-agents, then you get into um, issues, power struggles, and yes. decision make. Who's going to make this decision? Who's going to make that decision? So you just want to have one person with that authority. And if they choose to delegate the tasks, they can. But they're the one person that has the authority to actually make the decisions. And you bring up an interesting point here. You should probably let somebody know before you assign them as your disposition because nobody wants to get caught like holding the holding the bag the body that's bag that's a great as it were. point that's a great point zach yes and i do tell my clients that they should if whoever they're appointing as their agent on these documents all of the documents they should talk to the agent about it and let the agent know that they are appointing them and in the capacity in which they're appointing the agent so that the person can say you know well yeah, that's fine. I'm happy to do that for you. Or no, I would rather not have that responsibility. I don't want to make those decisions for you. Okay. So that's an excellent point. Now, I understand a lot, of, a lot of times people get in feuds. Things happen. People fight. People are people. But I've always had the impression, I guess, from Hollywood, really, that uh, somebody's like will and testament, their, their last rights, these, these, these documents are binding i mean they're like law that's it so what if say my sister my sister and i get in an argument and i and i bring up towards the end of the argument hey uh i wanted to assign you as the agent to control my disposition of remains she goes nope not doing it and i put her name down anyway does that mean she just that's has a to, good question she just have to do it now or is it like oh well she'll figure something out or does or, it, yeah but you both need to assign that right but even if she says no i don't want to do it you go mm, too bad and you write her name on i mean what happens well actually for the dis- for appointing the agent for disposition of remains she doesn't have to sign that document so you could name her without her having to sign it only you or the person that's going to sign it but if she declined to serve you can't right. force her no, to well, serve yeah. nobody so, can make her okay. yeah that's why you would want to appoint a successful <laughs> if she's unable to serve um, either appoint a successor or talk to her because why would you want to put your sister in that situation if you know or you have any inclination that she doesn't want to have this responsibility or carry out this responsibility why would you want to put her in that position no you, you wouldn't want to you're right and yeah of course she could be like you it's know purely I, hypothetical i'm surely not not the person <laughs> to do this perhaps somebody else should take care or of if that. you did if at one time the two of you were getting along just swell and then you know something happened you had a falling out and then you were ever never able to quite reconcile to the point you were before then in that case had you put her as the agent you would want to change the document perhaps and remove her name and make someone else the agent now if she had signed it previously would you have to get her her signature again to remove her name no you would just have to revoke that document and execute a new document appointing a new agent but she wouldn't have to sign anything revoking it usually when you revoke those documents you either um, deface them in some way to show that they've been revoked or you destroy them oh wow so well it all sounds deadly <laughs> yes, it does. No pun to the document. No pun intended. Yes, of course. <laughs> so we are going to break again. Thank you for staying with us this afternoon on a Monday afternoon with a clear blue sky, and we will be back shortly. It's the law. Stay tuned. More of it's the law next on RNCN. RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio. 
Hi, this is Nate Dodson of the Dodson Legal Group. We are a team of attorneys out to ensure that all clients are put in the best position possible. We found that attorneys in the market fail at providing ongoing information and updates to their clients, and we work diligently to be the better option in keeping our clients informed as their cases move forward. For a free consult, please call us at 469-317-3330. That's 469-317-3330. I'm a third grade teacher. I'm a school bus driver. I am a parent. I am a teacher's aide. And I agree to be identified as a caring adult who pledges to help bullied students. I will listen carefully to all students who seek my help. And act on their behalf. To put an immediate stop to bullying. I will work with other caring adults to create a safe learning environment for all the students in my school. In my school. In my school. In my school. I'm Dennis Van Roekel, president of the National Education Association. Help us create safe, bully-free learning environments for all students. One caring adult can make all the difference. Be that adult and take the pledge at nea.org slash bullyfree. Adults have the power to stop bullying in our schools. It starts with me. It starts with me. It starts with me. It starts with me. Bully-free. It starts with me. Visit nea.org slash bullyfree. A message from the National Education Association. Hi, this is Jean Burke with College Prep Genius. Colleges go up on their rankings because of test scores. When your student has a great score, they can get free college. I am giving away my 15 secrets to free college. Go to my website, collegeprepgenius.com. Click on 15 secrets to free college and use the code radio. You're going to learn the secret formula that colleges use to get you free college. So again, that's www.collegeprepgenius.com. Owning your own business is one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do, but it certainly isn't easy. For nearly 50 years, business owners have been getting the help they need from SCORE, all for free. My SCORE mentor helped me take the first step. He helped me create a business plan and helped me implement it. SCORE mentors are passionate about sharing their expertise to help small businesses achieve success. I could not have done it alone. Whether you're a startup or an existing business, SCORE mentors can help you achieve your goals and help your business grow. With more than 12,000 volunteers with real-world business experience, SCORE is ready and willing to help make your dreams come true. SCORE helped me to make the unimaginable possible, all for free. Visit SCORE.org to get started today. SCORE, for the life of your business. Hi, I'm Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group, a family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients' and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national-type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. Numerous times they've already made an agreement and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end. And they may not always be the best in your area for your situation. Being a boutique, we are independent. We have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you. It's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents. You can reach us at 214-750-7557. And you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com. of attorney you're listening to it's the law with kathy rue on rncn hey everyone welcome back to it's the law with kathy rue we're wrapping up our final segment of the radio show today and thank you for staying with us all the new listeners thank you for tuning in and joining us for this informative radio segment it's going by really fast it's all right i mean i know time the end of the show is already here just about so i had one more question about uh, agent of control disposition of remains before we move on sure 
Uh, and it's, it's kind of a question with everything. I think it's just a good one to ask. Uh, what if you don't assign an agent? What if you don't have one? I mean, what happens then? That is a really good question because oftentimes I get clients who come to my office wanting me to redo their estate planning documents and they never had this document in place to begin with and they didn't even know about it. They didn't know it existed. And so it's something new for them to consider. And so what happens if you don't have this document in place is the same thing that happens if you don't have a will. The law controls. The law of the state of Texas controls what happens to, um, not what happens to your remains, but um, who gets to decide what happens to your remains. Under the Texas Health and Safety Code, um, the law sets out a priority list of the people who have a right to control the disposition of your remains. And so that list is in a, a specified order, and that order will be followed. For example, the first person is that's listed in the statute is the person that you've listed in the instrument if you have one, the document. If you don't have the document, then it's going to be the decedent's surviving spouse. If there's no surviving spouse, the next person on the list would be a surviving adult child. And so you just go down the list of the persons named in the statute. Um, And so they have the priority in terms of making decisions about how your remains are disposed of. All right. So we've got direct dis- we've got disposition of remains. We have an agent of control disposition of remains. Uh, instructions for preparing beneficiary. What is that? That's a really critical document. It's a written document, so it's going to be on a piece of paper in writing. It's important to have this done as part of your estate plan. Um, And before I answer your question and tell you what it is, let's talk a little bit about what your estate consists of. All right. Um, Basically, if you could think of your estate as a a pie, a round pie, and so you divide it into two parts. One part of the pie is going to be your probate assets, and that's considered your house, your car, any real estate that you own, jewelry, any collections, for example, a baseball card collection, um, art collections, any type of collection that you have. That is considered probate assets, though the distribution of those assets are controlled by your will. So you want all of that to be specified in your will as to how it's distributed. Then you have non-probate assets. That's the other part of your pie. And those non-probate assets are things such as a bank account, a life insurance policy, a retirement account, an annuity. Basically, these are assets that are created by a contract with a third party. And they are going to be distributed according to a beneficiary designation. So in your life insurance contract, there's a form, usually at the end of the document, that says upon your death, you want this policy distributed to... Zach Lewis or Kevin Ebling, and the insurance company will follow that designation. And so when you're, having, when you're doing your estate planning, you want to review all of these non-probate assets to determine who are the beneficiary designations to make sure that's coordinated with your estate. Because again, and I think we may have talked about this a little bit in our last radio show when we were discussing a will, if you don't have a beneficiary designation, then those assets are going to, generally, they will be made payable to your estate. And if they're made payable to your estate, then in that situation, that's when your will controls the distribution of those assets. Now, it sounds like your beneficiary and whoever you assign to take care of your, or (coughs) is assigned to your will, uh, sounds phenomenally similar, only in that one controls uh, probate assets and the other controls non-probate assets. Sometimes I would imagine these are probably the same person. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. You can have um, on the bank accounts, for example, you can have a joint bank account with a spouse and then you can have it designated as right of survivorship. So if you pass away, your surviving spouse gets the money in the account. So sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. You can have certain assets in your will distributed to one person. And then in your beneficiary designations on your bank account, you could have a payable on death designation, which would pay the funds in the account to whoever you named. It could be, you know, Zach, if you had an account, you wanted to leave the the funds to Kevin. That sounds good. 
<laughs> over my dead body. So uh, you would designate that as a, a pay on death, payable on death, and you would list Kevin's name. And right. so, if anything happened to you, then the bank is going to pay the funds in the account to Kevin. So it it depends, and that's the whole reason you want to review these assets and review who you've listed, if anyone, because you you definitely want to make sure you list someone if you want it payable to your estate to be distributed evenly amongst your heirs. You can certainly do that you can make the beneficiary the estate of zach lewis sure so there's um, a few different ways you can handle it but the important and critical part is that you review your assets you make sure you know what's in your estate and you have the appropriate designation on these documents now you mentioned something in there that i thought that caught my ear right of survivorship what is that um, it's just basically legal terminology that says if someone survives you, you want that person to have this asset. Sure, like and a you, spouse. Yes, yeah. and you usually find that on bank accounts. There's a term, legal terminology called joint tenancy with right of survivorship. And it's also, if you abbreviate it, or the acronym for it is uh, JTWOS. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see that a lot on bank accounts where spouses are opening accounts together, joint accounts, or if you just have two people together opening joint accounts. You know, you the show the show always makes me think I should actually read the fine print. <laughs> you should. Account. You should read those signature yes. cards. You That's should the read the, the terms right of there, your the account. Fine print. The fine print. <laughs> the that fine is print. the name of the show. I like that. <laughs> it's the law with the fine print. Yeah, with the fine print. So... Real quick, I know we've barely any time Yeah, left. we're just about out of time. Oh, we're just about out of time. Okay, well, maybe we'll get to it next week. I want to ask how it all ties together, but that's a good tease for next week. Yes, yeah. yes, we can talk about that some more. Thank you all so much. Thank my listeners very much for joining us today on It's the Law with Kathy Rue. on It's the Law with Kathy Rue. Visit her online at kathyrulaw.com. You're listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio. Who says green can't be clean? Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safer on pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you.com and sign up for our speed cleaning tip of the week. Me? I started smoking when I was 13. I always thought when the time came, I could quit. No problem. Then at 28, I tried to go cold turkey, and I found out how hard it really was. I made it all day without a smoke. (laughs) Right until I met up with the guys. But I learned something that night. In fact, every time I tried to quit, there were more than a few, I learned a little more about what worked and what didn't work for me. And when I realized that I wasn't alone, that most people don't quit on their first or second attempt, I knew there was still hope. Today, I'm an ex-smoker. My only advice is to never, ever give up trying to quit. If you're trying to quit smoking, the American Lung Association is here to help every step of the way. Visit quitterinyou.org for tools, tips, and stories from smokers we've helped to finally quit for good. The American Lung Association. We support the Quitter in You at quitterinyou.org. Hi, this is Michelle Williams. I'm a national sales representative for J. Hilburn Men's Custom Clothier. At J. Hilburn, we want to help our customers dress better. We know that they can get a great fitting product at great quality for a great price. If you're wanting to expand your wardrobe or just need help with your day-to-day dress, Go to michellewilliams.jhilburn.com. That's michellewilliams.jhilburn.com. I remember the moment. I remember the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. 
a storage tank ruptured, and for miles, chemicals were pushing up against the riverbanks. This was a big, big deal, and it was going to have a serious impact on communities up and down the river. I remember the moment this local guy came up to me and said, they call the guard out for this stuff? You probably thought we were all about hurricanes, tornadoes, fighting Mother Nature. Hey, it's a chemical spill. It's a disaster. It affects the water supply, threatens wildlife. We're talking about the health of entire communities and people's livelihoods. You bet we're ready for these kinds of things. We were out there with booms to prevent the spill from expanding. We were responsible for protecting and monitoring the sensitive wetlands. I also remember the moment that same guy came up to me and said, I don't know what we would have done if they hadn't called the guard up. Learn more about how you can protect your friends, families, neighbors, and the environment. Everything that makes up your community. Go to NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Texas National Guard. Aired by the Texas Association of Broadcasters and this station. You ignore the signs, so you enable. You don't want to alienate your child, so you enable. But if you think they're trying drugs, you shouldn't be afraid. You're the parent. So you are able. And we can help. So you are able. Get help at drugfree.org. Partnership for a Drug-Free America Texas Alliance. You're listening to RNCN.